Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy right here, right now, I get to speak to a legend of the wrestling business, a Hall of Famer across several Hall of Fames and a Hall of Famer in life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one, the only one half of the Rock and Roll Express. It's Mr. Ricky Morton. How are you, sir? How are you today? Oh, man, I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Something happened there, and I think we got a, a cut off or something. Okay. That's so, uh, good. are you, you good? Okay, man. Hey, uh, <laughs> man, I'm absolutely wonderful. Thank you for having me on your show. And uh, I think I need to take you on the road with me to do that intro every time I come to the <laughs> ring. That, uh, that, that, <laughs> I, I started going in this corner, Ricky Morton. Uh, but, uh, no, I'm just kidding, man. Thank you, man, for having me on your show. I'm excited about, uh, about doing this. I can see in your background back here, we have a belt that's on a red short. What belt is that? That, that? that is the, uh, WZWA Network Heavyweight Championship. Uh, that's my, yeah. my YouTube channel that I, that I work for. So, oh, cool. Um, Gotcha, yeah. bud. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Ricky, this is so exciting to have the chance to talk to you. But first and foremost, what I wanted to talk about you uh, talk about with you first is uh, NWA seventy four, the recent uh, pay per view that took place. Uh, and I want to talk about your son Kerry because I just wanted your thoughts on this because, and I want to know what you thought about my thoughts on this. Was Kerry taking on homicide in this matchup for the junior heavyweight championship. And I'd seen Kerry perform several times as your tag team partner in the past. And now I was seeing him take on a guy like homicide in this matchup. And one thing that I thought to myself was during this matchup with how homicide was getting more and more uh, violent, uh, physical, I felt like seeing this Kerry Morton, this, he was a young man at the beginning of the match. And then by the end, he had grown into being a full, you know, grown man. Uh, that's what, how I felt watching this matchup. And I was really, really impressed. Uh, well, how did you feel your son went in? How do you feel your son is going in his career so far? Uh, well, you got to understand. And, and just to tell you this off the bat, uh, Kerry, is Kerry Morton, and I'm am Ricky Morton. And what I'm trying to do is make Kerry understand that he has to be himself. He can't be me, yeah. and I don't want him to be me. You know, he can't help it. His last name is Morton, but you're going to have to make your own way in this business. Uh, Kerry's been with me. You know, I'm a second-generation wrestler. Kerry's a third-generation wrestler. Uh, the reason that uh, he, you hadn't seen more of him is because I never had a time in my life to get an education. And, and Kerry, yes, he still has two more years of college, uh, and, I, and I want that done. But now we're going back to NWA. NWA, to me, the National Wrestling Alliance is, is home. 
Uh, this is where it all starts, and this is where you learn, and this is what you got to do. But see, as current wrestling in single matches, you see he starts to learn on his own. Uh, this business is a hard business, no matter what anybody out there thinks. Uh, and, and, uh, and to make your point in this business, you know, homicide, very tough individual. He has worked hard to be the junior heavyweight title, and he don't want to lose it either. Uh, the path that Kerry sets for himself is set right here in NWA. I'm looking forward to him. Man, I can't wait to November. I hope a lot of people out here will be able to get where we had a pay-per-view in New Orleans, Louisiana, where Kerry uh, is going to fight homicide again for the title. Uh, nobody knows what happens. That's one good thing about NWA. Nobody knows. But when the it's just part of business, losing your temper, but you got to be able to hold your poise and, you know, and, and listen to me, dude, I'm 66 years old. My whole career, I was the smallest guy in the ring and I did this right here, but I didn't lose matches by being, I mean, I didn't win matches a lot of times by being physical. It was just outsmarting your opponent and, you know, and wait for that one mistake. And when you make, make that one mistake, the match is over with. And that's what it's all about. So I'm hoping that he'd, uh, you know, it, I'm just looking forward to the match. But most of all, I'm looking forward for Kerry. This is a great opportunity. This is a stepping stone. And, and win or lose, you hear me? To take the next step to the higher level. Absolutely. Yes, I was very impressed. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing how he progresses in future. And now time to get back to you, Ricky. 44 years in the business for, is what my research tells me. Um, what do you attribute to your longevity in the business? Okay, uh, I started today. Matter of fact, it's my birthday. I'm uh, 66 years old. I had my first match when I was 16. So it's 50 years in the business. But that was way, you know, I, yeah, but I was, it was 10 years before Robert and I even teamed up together. Uh, my longevity, you know what, you, you it's, uh, once, first of all, you got to be able to love this business. Uh, there's nothing more that I love and teaching about our business. It's a lost art. Uh, nine out of ten times, you have guys that get in the ring that don't even understand what our business is about. Uh, a lot of them is just to go in there and high, high spot number one, high spot number two, high spot number three, and it's not even nothing like that. You gotta be able to come in there. This is our stage. When you get in that room, you gotta be able to perform and to tell that story that you want the people to understand. And that's why I'm still around. It's a lost art that I'm still out here trying to teach people what to do. Uh, another thing is, is I, even though I'm 66, I'm not a bodybuilder. I take care of myself. Soon as we get through here, cause I'm on, you know, it's in the morning here. I'll be headed to the gym. Uh, and then tonight, I'll be at my roster school training, training with guys. And, and uh, the longevity is that, you know, and people ask me all the time, when you're going to retire? And I tell them, I said, dude, if I sit down, I'll never get back up. Uh, my body wouldn't do it. So I'm just going to stay as active as I can and, until I can't. So, uh, and uh, nine out of ten times, you know, yeah, I'm my old man, but trust me, I'm still in my prime if I want to be.
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Ricky. Yeah, because like I, I, I think about uh, you know, uh, you being in the business so long, still wrestling, still uh, working, and I, I kind of think about when I interviewed a man by the name of John Steele, who was the drummer for a, a band called The Animals. Uh, if you know uh-huh. the song "House of the Rising Sun," eighty oh, years yes. old when I interviewed him, and he was still touring the world. And I said to him, how do you keep doing it? How do you still do it? And he said, well, Carl, the thing is, if I stopped, I think I'd probably get quite arthritic and then I wouldn't be able to drum the way that I, the, the way that I still can now. So the fact that he kept going and kept doing it um, is what keeps him going. So I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of the same thing for a wrestler in, in, in the same sense. Cause I remember Kurt Angle when he took maybe about two years off from the ring uh, when he came back to the WWE, his body didn't move the same afterward because he wasn't continually uh, out there taking the bumps, having that callus, I suppose you would say. You're known for your bumping, you're selling. Uh, at this stage of your career, are there any bumps that you won't take anymore? Uh, all of them. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> well, yes, it, it definitely is. You know, a man wants a kid. I used to drop kick off the top rope. I'd dive from the top rope out on the floor. Uh, yeah, but I still do the dives from the ring to the floor. I do the Canadian destroyer. <laughs> I, I do a few things that fits in with me that I'm comfortable doing. But one, another thing about our business is it's a lost start. And uh, uh, matter of fact, I just posted this other day. You got to be able to take care of the guy that you're wrestling. Uh, uh, our days, the injuries are just mounting up, mounting up. And some of the guys, their careers are, are cut short. And the reason why is because they don't take care of each other. Uh, you know, when I get in the ring with somebody, I, I'm putting my body into your hand. So I'm asking you to take care of it. And, and nowadays, they don't know that. That's why I don't do a lot of things. Uh, I know you remember beautiful Bobby Eaton from the Midnight Express. You see, I, uh, Bobby and him go all night long, and I can trust Bobby with anything that I wanted to do because I knew he'd be there to catch me or he'd be there to stop me or he'd be there to do this. And that's an art in our business that is really, really out there. But, you know, I'm, but I'm not working for you know, I take more risks. You know, if I was at AEW, I'd do something a little bit more riskier. Uh, and at NWA, I do things a little bit more riskier. But, you know, being on the independent circuit, I'm just there to entertain. And I promise you this. Uh, and, and to me, I, I still give the people the money's worth. I will not relieve the ring until I think the people has had their money's worth. And that's just the way I am. Excellent to hear, Ricky. Excellent. And and I want to kind of take it back to back in the day here when uh, rock and roll used to work uh, these matches where it sounded like Beatlemania in the crowd. No matter what you or Robert did, the girls in the yeah. audience screamed. <laughs> And I got, we watched a match uh, between the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And it, I, I said to my friend, if, if one of them sneezed, the girls would start screaming. What was it like having that kind of adoration and attention from so many women? Dude, we were rock stars. And, but, but you see, and that's, this is at the time when the business changed. Uh, years ago, you had territories. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not 
stopping. I'm going to go back to what you're you're asking me here. But the territories were, you know, the, the top guys was the owner and his best friend or or the hills that they brought in to work. And, and, and normally all of them were 300 pounds out of shape, didn't work, you know, didn't know. They just pushed themselves. And that's the bookers. The bookers just pushed themselves. But in our business, you have to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, Bill Watts had just retired, and it, but he owned his territory, and he needed a, a booker that did not wrestle where you wouldn't push yourself. Because Bill pushed himself, he didn't want a Booker to push himself to cap, you know, capitalize on his territory. So uh, they got Bill Superstar Dundee. I don't know if you know Bill. Bill was absolutely great uh, wrestler, and um, I think Bill was from Australia. Wasn't he? Yes, yeah, uh, yes, and uh, he took Robert Nod to Louisiana, and you got to understand what a shock culture to our business because you, all of a sudden you had these big monster guys and then now you have the all American baby faces coming in just a different thing and, and so we didn't have uh, social media back then uh, your TV was only in your area there and that was everywhere until you know TBS and uh and all of a sudden, here you go. You have you, the wrestling that comes on every Saturday morning. Then the next thing you know, everybody's hearing about this new tag team that's come in, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, the long hair, just like Rock and Roll. You understand? You know, I, I remember I, at Bill Watts, you know, the first night that we they showed our videos and stuff, and we went to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the first night. And we get there, and the camera lady is, comes up, and she's got a microphone in my face, and she's asking us questions. Who's the Rock and Roll Express? And I'm talking to her. She says, do you know people have been camped out here for a week to buy tickets or, and to come to your show? And, you know, what a mind-blowing thing that is to understand that we have turned wrestling into just like rock concerts Uh bad to the bone uh, oh yes and what was it like oh girls chasing after you oh i just hated that <laughs> you know <laughs> that's the greatest thing in the world but and, and this, this is uh 40 years ago you, you, do you understand what i'm saying and we we were the t we took tag team to a different level in professional wrestling and and the promoters saw then uh, you know, especially Jimmy Crockett, because he didn't wrestle. He always had a booker for him. But when the bookers come in, they pushed herself, you know, and it only did good. But then when you brought these outside talent in and they're going to have to get us because we're over, it changed everything. Guys, they went from the smaller buildings to the medium buildings to the big civic centers, the auditoriums, and even the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is way before WrestleMania. This is way before all this stuff. Uh, uh, going on. I mean, it's it's unbelievable work of territory. And let me tell you, this is, and, and everybody in the world hears it. You know, when we wrestled the Superdome, they cut it in half, which is up, but that's still 40,000 people. You know, you know, most of the time it was 200 people. Now we got 40,000 in this building. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? But it wasn't just us. 
it was the people that we worked with. We, you know, the Midnight Express, you could not, to me, there's not a better heel tag team that will ever be because the reason why is Robert and I with the Midnight Express and Jimmy Cornette, we made history in the wrestling business. And, uh, oh yes, we changed. And I always remember this and you know that too, you know, the three major things in life to always make money is, is liquor food and women you hear me and buddy here we go we go on these things is you draw girls you draw guys and if you draw guys you draw you know especially the younger girls you got to bring their parents with them and all of a sudden it, it just flew out of proportion and robert and i not only were just known in louisiana worldwide everybody wanted us to come and work for them because and we did we go to different places and their buildings it would be 10 times more than they ever drew before just for one night. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I always think about this. Uh, if there are really, really hot women in the crowd, then it is a surefire sign that whatever is, is on presentation is over. Uh, you go, you watch a kiss concert on DVD from the eighties. There's so many good looking women in the audience. Motley Crue is the same. You see the rock and roll express wrestle in the eighties. It's the exact same. I always equate, uh, something being hot and popular, uh, when there's good looking women in the audience. It's just a fact, I believe. Uh, <laughs> are, are you a musician? I, I, I did sing in a rock band. Yes. Okay. Cause I can tell a little bit, you know, my whole family, you know, my wife's country music singer, and then my uh, all my kids play. And uh, I just want to tell this, you know, even when we do slow down, uh, we're going to, you know, I think outside the black box, I do stand up. And, uh, and my whole family, everybody, everybody plays and sings. So we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to tour around. I'm going to do uh, a little stand up, then come back with my family, play music and just have a good time. Just thinking outside that black box of different things to do and to cover. You know, and my oldest son, you know, he's he's in the my oldest one, he's in Nashville. I mean, he he writes a lot of songs for a lot of big country music stars and he's really good. So we're gonna put that together and we're working on a, a song right now that's I think, in my opinion, and it's it's not about uh that it's so good a plan, but it's a catchphrase that I think it's really going to get over. And in time will come, you'll hear it. You'll get to see it. And, we, and I think it's going to be really good. <laughs> Excellent. I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. Um, so yeah. uh, you, you did mention the Midnight Express, and I'd be ridiculous to uh, not mention them in this interview. They are rock and roll's greatest rivals. Uh, what was it about the two teams that created such magic? Uh, it's what our business is lacking today. Okay. You had two true baby faces. You had two true heels with a manager that everybody in the world absolutely despised. <laughs> okay. Now, and you put that combination together. Now you're going to make it, uh, if you notice that I, and this is what I'm working on and I, I really want to work with it with Billy Corkin and NWA is to have a real true heel team and, and build them. Yeah. 
I mean, you just can't even imagine. You know, uh, somebody asked me one day, he says, how do, I've never been a heel. How can, uh, what do I do to be a heel? And I said, just do that. <laughs> Back up. That's all you got to do. Uh and, and the baby faces. And I don't know if you ever go back and watch our matches unless I was an egg. You watch the matches today, they start off the first thing, someone throws a punch or they start hitting the ropes. And, and nobody understands. But see, even now, even now when I wrestle, I tell a story before I even ball my fist. Now, you younger, they, they don't even have a, a damn clue what I'm talking about. And I tell guys this all the time. I said, listen to me. I'm going to sit here and talk to you today, and I want to explain some things to you. But right now, at this moment, I'll be better off talking that wall because you're not going to understand a damn thing I'm going to say to you. But I promise you, it'll be a time in your life, and you're going to be in the ring, and you go, damn, that's what Ricky Morton meant. Uh, you see? And that's what it is. That's uh, what our, it is like. And, and Bobby and Dennis, they knew how to get heat. And what I mean by heat, they knew how to make the people mad. And they knew how to keep it. Jimmy Cornette was the greatest at even being, and not even talking, but being out on the floor, you know, arguing with the fans. But one thing that he always did, I mean, he'd say stuff to these fans, you know, <laughs> really piss them off out there on the floor. But before he left, he got them back over. And he'll run, and that's the reason they bought tickets every week. Every little thing about our business, everything that we do means something. And until they understand that, uh, how to do that, it, it, and it's still there. I do it all the time. I have a wrestling school where I teach that, man, and we still do that, and it still works. You can't believe some of them people, man, when we go down there and our heels, they'd be going to the ring. They get blasted by people throwing shit at them, and, <laughs> and see, then and then you know it's working. Uh, you know, with Dennis and Bobby, it's and that was what I'm trying to say. And I hope I answered your question for you because that's something that they did that our business don't like anymore because some people think it don't work. But you see, our business when people think that they know everything about our business. It's simply a good answer for that. They don't know shit. Okay. <laughs> no, I completely okay. agree. I completely agree. I, I, I often find myself sometimes watching tag team wrestling these days, finding myself frustrated whilst watching it because I can see them cooperating with one another. I can see them standing there waiting for them to do the, the dive yes. to the outside, which happens what are the odds that that would happen in every single tag team match that there's going to be a spot where there are two guys waiting to catch somebody? It drives me Always. wild, Ricky. Yes, it does. Me too. It really, you know, and it makes my ass want to dip, dip snuff, to tell you the truth, is to watch it and I get mad. But if he just slow down a little bit and understand, nowadays, everybody and 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 and, and Listen to what I'm going to say to you here. And see, I'm from the old school with it, where I really protected my business, sacred business for a long time. But you can't fight City Hall all the time. So nowadays, these guys, you know, you have to be at the building at 12 o'clock in the day. And they sit back there 
and go over their matches for hours and hours and hours. And then when they go through the ring, you can still see through it. Uh, I, I always call it the next spot face. Look at the guys' faces when they're working. After they do something, you know, they got that thinking of what they got to do the next time. And, and I know that's just the way of the wrestling today, but our business was so sacred in my day that we never, you never dressed with the heel. Matter of fact, you didn't talk. If you talked to them but you, in front of people, you got fired. Yeah. Uh, that was the heels and the baby faces. Uh, nobody knew your finish. Only, but you did in that way because nobody could tell nobody. Uh, I, uh, you know, many a times, but you, you know, they would play our music, and when we get in, in the ring, you know, the referee would tell you, "You're you're over." That means wind, or you're down. The heels are over. That's why he said heels over. And we called everything in the ring. Uh, we and and go our time limits. Uh, and see, but by doing that, it slowed the match down. And then when you slow the match down, the people are able to watch and see what you're doing. I mean, I know you've been to a Broadway show, but have you ever been to a Broadway show that that that's a two-hour Broadway show and they do it in ten minutes? You wouldn't understand a damn thing. Yeah, you, you see. So that's what we got to get back to is understanding and teaching this these younger guys in this business that that you got to learn that something might change in your match. I go to the ring and I listen to the people. You know, it's just, you know, I listen to them. I can tell a story by listening to the people. I can make them laugh. I can make them mad. I can make them cry. And I can make them come in that ring on your ass if I want to. Uh, because it's years of experience of doing that. And this is what the younger generation, this is what the, the future of our business lies on. And see, this is something that I took my time with Kerry about. Now, see, he's still 21 years old. And... And in our business, too, especially when you work territories, you, you wrestle every night and you wrestle somebody different and and wrestling somebody different. You learn, you learn, you learn different things, especially when you're working with top guys. Uh, and then you, you're able to listen to the people. You're able to uh, change that because learning to work. I can't teach nobody to work. No, no wrestler in the world can teach anybody to work. You have to learn that yourself because it's like playing music. It's like playing the guitar. It's, you know, you, you have to learn yourself. Somebody can show you some chords and show you a couple of riffs, but you got to learn how to do it yourself, how to put it the way that you do. And uh, that's something that's really missing from our business. And, and I'm hoping I get an opportunity here pretty soon, you know, and that's because I am, I'm 66 years old, I'm too old to wrestle, but I'm not too old to teach, and I'm not too old to make people and under, and make them understand the way that it should be, the way that people will enjoy buying tickets, you know, uh, you, you see things, you see all these younger tag teams on TV today, and they want me, they had, somebody asked me last night to comp compare myself to some of them. Well, I don't want to compare myself to some of them because they don't know what I know. Uh, yes, they, they do crazy stuff that would normally, you know, I'm waiting for him to shoot Hugo out of the cannon. But, you know, he's he's going to kick out on one, I promise you. They're not going to beat him. So 
that's what's wrong. And I hope I answered your question there, brother. I don't. <laughs> no, I'm loving this. <laughs> Damn. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm loving this, Rick. You know, you, you, you're you're preaching to the choir right now. Sometimes when I'm watching wrestling, I'm like, does someone need to like pull out a gun and shoot the opponent in order to get a pinfall yeah. right now? For the love of God. But anyway, let's get away from this subject now. Let's move forward to something that <laughs> I really wanted to ask you about because uh, I thought this was a magical moment as a fan. 1st of October 2019, uh, Rock and Roll Express win the NWA World Tag Team titles from the Wildcards on NWA Power. It felt like a wonderful moment how was it after all these years to have claimed such a position again and get that reaction that you did on that day? Well, this is uh, really cool because now I understand I want, I'm going back to what I just told you that we didn't keep fade. That's when Jimmy Cornette was there. And, uh, and I'm, and, and I'm used to everybody giving your finish and nobody's coming to me. Nobody's said nothing to me. Uh, and then we get ready to go to the ring. Cornette goes, oh, uh, by the way, y'all winning the world titles tonight. <laughs> and I said, Jimmy, I'm 60-something years old. He says, oh, no, this is going to be great. <laughs> but wild card, is, do you know Thomas Latimer? Yes, Thomas. yes, of course. Uh, okay, now, understand me that I don't know where Thomas trained or where he came from. And they didn't know either until we got in the ring. But – you see, when you're going to go in there and you're going to win the world titles from a tag team that are your world champions to some older guys in our business, uh, you kind of fix. So when I locked up with Thomas, I took him over in a headlock. And then it's a secret in our business that I do. I give him, it's called the office. And he knew exactly what I was doing. And it's hard to get that. And that's the reason the match got over so good. Because Thomas is that good. See, it's not about what he's doing to me or what about me. It's working. He knew that I was in my 60s. When I took him over in the head lock and gave it, he picked me up right to my feet. Do you understand? It's working together. This is what's lost in our business. And to win the world titles, what absolutely blew my mind. And it, 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 the crowd reaction. And, and understand me, we didn't have 10,000 people in there. You know, this was in a studio, and and it blew the roof off the, the little studio place. And uh, to do that, and after all those years, I mean, it was great. It was absolutely wonderful, the feeling, because at first I didn't want to buy into it because I'm an older man. I'm not out here to impress anybody. Now, if you want to impress me, eat an apple, shit a fruit salad, that would impress me. But other than that, it's not. But Thomas really impressed me in the ring. And that's the reason the match got over so good. It, and even his partner, too, because uh, they knew how to work without, they knew how to work. They knew how to make Robert and I look like world champions. And and the, and how did it feel? Oh, gosh, it just blew my mind. I mean, that made us nine time world tag team champions. <laughs> at the time okay <laughs> very cool it was a very special moment that's for sure um yeah i think i wanted to ask you about it and, and this doesn't just mean uh you know the work in the ring but 
I want to ask you, what, what do you miss the most about pro wrestling in the 1980s? Uh, apart from just the in-ring stuff, what's, is there, is there an attribute of pro wrestling from back then that you wish that was still around? Yeah. It's our business being sacred. Uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to explain to, that when you're in a business nowadays, and, and I'm serious, if you stop to think about it and don't get me wrong, I don't hate Dave Melcher, uh, but nowadays everybody knows who's going to win because there's always somebody going to say something. And before the match even starts, they know who's going to go over. And, you know, the, the fans already know who's going to win the belt three months from now. The fans don't know who's the next person they're going to push. Our days, nobody knew nothing. Mm. Our dressing rooms, the dressing rooms uh, that we were in were sacred. Uh, nowadays, you go to shows and uh, everybody, you know, they got their mother, their kids, their girlfriend. It's all in the dressing room. Uh, do you understand me? And and that really bothers me because it's, and, and I do this, and, you know, and one thing I do is, is I respect the girl wrestlers of our business. You know, you go to a dress room, they got the girls in there with you. Oh, I, I'll raise hell. I tell the promoter, I said, go find them girls a dressing room where they can be comfortable. Cause I know they're not comfortable back here. And then he, he you got a guy that's in the dressing room that thinks he knows everything about our business and uh, got his girlfriend in, in the dressing room. And I'm asking him, I said, dude, what, what is, it, is she working tonight? Oh, that's my girlfriend. Well, why is she in the dressing room? Oh, well, she's my girlfriend. She come back here. I says, okay, wait on a minute. I'll go get Robert. Now, you got to understand, Robert is a well-blessed human being. Uh, you know, he got a pecker that would drag the ground. You understand me? <laughs> I mean, it's down here around his knees. So I go in there. I said, Robert, get dressed. Now, he take his clothes off. Now, let me tell you, uh, he'd be glad to get his girlfriend out of the dressing room. But it's things like that you got to do. Man, what the hell is wrong with you? This is what we do. This is sacred. And the sacredness of our business is gone. And then, and I hate that. That's my thing. Fair enough, Ricky. Thank you for sharing. Excellent stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's a few uh, like periods of time in your career that I really wanted to ask you about. Uh, uh, you and Robert worked, I believe, 13 matches in WCW in 1996, ranging from working with the Faces of Fear, uh, Harlem Heat, High Voltage, uh, the Horsemen again, of course, Fire and Ice, yeah. the American Males. Uh, do you remember why the run only lasted, I think it was about four or five months. Uh, why it was such a short run there? But how was the experience uh, being there in 1996? Oh, it was horrible. We just had a job. I, uh, and I'm just going to tell you the truth, buddy. Uh, w, you talk about WCW, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Now, hey, you got guys that come in that, you know, it turned corporate. You had guys that weasel their way into the office. And the reason I didn't like it is, is see, I never had a contract in my life. Some of these guys, and you think I'm bullshitting. They make more in a month than I made in 46 years in the business. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. Now, okay, you stop to think. Uh, they're in their corporate uh they're spending billions of dollars of the corporate money to advertise these shows. 
and half of them are not even selling out, but they're pushing themselves. Uh, to me, I, you know, I, I was just lost in the shuffle. Uh, I didn't like being there. You know, I like the guys. Don't get me wrong. I love working with guys, you know, Booker T and all them guys. It, it, it was uh, it was just being there because I had a job at the time. And that That's what that was about. I had a job. Uh, then I found out that on independent circuit, you have you don't have the headaches, you don't have the bullshit that you got to put up with, and you don't got to have somebody in the office. Uh, and like I told you earlier, you're pushing yourself because they want to be the movie star, and 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 people are buying them like shit. You know, they're not buying nothing they do; they're just there. And the only thing that really, to me, that saved WCW is when Hogan went in there and had a little run. And they did get their ratings up. And I like Terry. And Terry did do that. Terry did the same. But the rest of them, they all sucked. And I'm just telling you that. Uh, it, you know, it's like the same thing. We had a little run in WWF at the time. But see, that's when Smoky Mountain closed down. And we didn't have a, you know, because Jimmy was going to work for the office at WWF. So uh, they brought us in. But see, they did absolutely nothing with us. But one thing that... I've got to say is Jimmy got us a paycheck every week. You know, we got paid. <laughs> he got us a job. Uh, we didn't just throw us out the window and hope for the next best thing. Uh, you know, we, uh, <clears throat> and, but the time that you're talking about too, I was going to Japan a lot. So uh, it really didn't phase me much, but you know, you, when you get lost in the shuffle, you know, they quickly forget about you real easy and, and they had other plans for themselves. So, I, you know, I, no, didn't like it, didn't want to be there, but I had to because I had bills to pay. I didn't have that guaranteed $100,000 coming in every week. A hundred grand. Now, you understand that. Some of these people made $100,000 a week. You know, kiss my ass. I wrestled <laughs> naked for... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Go ahead, man. <laughs> no, also, I just want to ask about that because uh, I, I became a fan of professional wrestling in about 1998. So uh, uh -huh. as the years wore and I became a bigger fan, I went back and watched stuff that I'd never seen before. So I remember watching 1996 WCW and seeing you and Robert show up and being like, oh, awesome i had no idea that they that they were there at that point in time and then uh, a few weeks of uh the 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 footage that i'm watching all of a sudden i didn't see you guys there anymore so i always wanted to know a little bit about that um yeah but let me cut i'm gonna i don't mean to cut you off but i'm gonna that's tell cool. you something before I, before I forget it yeah sure. uh in wcw we didn't have no contracts uh, and these guys did and we had a tech and you asked me why I was there. You know, at a time there, I joined the York Foundation. I became a heel. Me and Terry Taylor and um, Terry Reynolds, which is Alexander York. And see, it's just having a job. But see, at that time, Robert got hurt. I'm going to tell you the whole story. You'll love this. Uh, we're in, I'm in the, at Knoxville, Tennessee at the time. And Robert, you know, I come in. Robert's just real quiet over in the corner. And I asked Robert, I says, I... Uh, you know, everybody's in and I walk up to him. I said, what's the matter? He, he goes, I, I got hurt last night. 
Okay. So I just walked off because I know I'm thinking in my head, you got hurt last night. You didn't do shit. How'd you get hurt? <laughs> you wasn't hurt when we left the building. So I went back to him later and, uh, he told me, I said, what really happened to you? And he did. He said, my wife ran over me in the car. I said, Oh shit, that must be <laughs> one, one hell of a fight. But, uh, he took his pants off and his leg was solid black. Uh, okay. Now we're not on contract. We don't get stuff like that. And we're going to wrestle doom that night, uh, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. So, uh, I told Robert, I said, listen to me, bud. When the music plays, I'm going to shoot out this door and I'm going to go this way, that way. And you go here and get straight up on the ring for nobody can understand you. I said, I'm going to start this match off. Uh, and I said, when I tag you, come through the ropes and just fall. And he goes, are you sure? I said, just fall. Okay, so we did that. And see, everything's minds over matter. When only people don't know, only me and Robert knew, he fell. Butch Reed was in the ring, goes, damn, were you drunk? I said, no, did, did you hear his knee pop? Yes, I did. Now, everybody's done hurt his knee pop. You understand me? <laughs> so, now, he got hurt in the ring for a corporate business. Dude, they come and they took him and flew him to the University of Alabama, where the, you know, he had the best surgeons. So they redid his whole leg. They paid for it. They paid him $2,000 a week. And I'm still wrestling every night, not even making half that. You understand me? Uh, for a year. Uh, wow. So, uh, <laughs> and I didn't have a job. Well, first of all, they come to me. They wanted to team me up with Brad Armstrong to make the new Rock and Roll Express. I told them no. Uh, so then they didn't have a job for me. See, and see, when you're in a territory and they turn you heel, that means they have nothing for you. <laughs> you understand me? So, but by turning heel, being with Terry Taylor, we really got over, but at least I had a paycheck to come in every day. And when that was over, Robert came right back and I wrestled Robert. It was at Capital Combat in Washington, D.C. I had Alexander York with me. I, I beat him. I hit him with a computer. We rolled out of the ring and went back to the back, got dressed, and we left and went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, teaming up, and we and we popped that territory. So that's the way all that stuff happens like that, you see. Uh, but I took care of him, and I made sure that he uh, he was taken care of because I could still work, and I still do that today. We, Very cool. Just who I am. That is a great story. You thought on your toes right then and there. And if you just told them yes. that he got uh, hurt outside of the ring at home, they would have just uh, got rid of him. So because of oh, that. Pardon. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Well done. That, I love that story. <laughs> Thank you uh, very much. Uh, I want to bring uh, get away from WCW now. Let's not talk about uh, that anymore. I want to ask you about ECW because in '97 you worked three matches in ECW. Uh, how would you describe your experience there in Philly? Okay, ECW. Are you talking about? Uh, I don't understand ECW. I wrestled for uh, uh, so e many. What was sorry, AC uh, ECW? Oh, ECW. <laughs> sorry, it's my accent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just went in and out. I was working everywhere else too. I uh, 
it was crazy. You know, that was where the hardcore really started and began with Paul Heyman. Uh, Paul's a good friend of mine. And it's another thing, you know, Paul said, man, why don't you come up and wrestle for us? But he, you know, I went up and worked with Tommy Rich. And another thing, Tommy Rich, uh, I'm not trying to get away from the question you asked, but Tommy Rich is the most underrated wrestler ever in our wrestling business. Tommy Rich was the first Hulk Hogan in our business. Tommy Rich was the first baby face to ever get over and change our business for the younger people. Tommy Rich was the first one to do that. And nobody even uh, mentions his name no more. Nobody even do that. But at this time, Tommy Rich was hotter than Georgia Pine, buddy, uh, firecracker. But I, I enjoyed ECW to get back to that. And Tommy worked there. And I worked with Tommy a lot there. And I worked with uh, – uh, let's see, Stevie. Yep. Ray and 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 the blonde-headed girl that was there with me. I don't know if you remember her. Go back and look at it. Well, that's my wife. Uh, oh, really? And uh, yeah, she just with me, but she's, you know, she don't have nothing to do it. I just was on the road together, and I, she got a little payoff too, and I did too. <laughs> in between things, but uh, you know, Shane Douglas and. Tommy Dreamer and all those guys, they were just young kids there. Uh, you know, Steve Carino, uh, Taz, uh, a lot of them. Terry Funk was there a lot, too. You yeah. know, and Terry, you know, he, you know, he's crazier than a horse with no neck. You know, he's doing <laughs> that crazy-ass shit, you know. And, and, then, and now I understand why he's doing the crazy-ass shit because he's over and, and, and you've got to make money. You still got to go. So, and that's what, that was what the new fad was. And that's what Terry was doing. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And he did it so well. So many people I've had in this show, uh, when I asked them like who their favorite professional wrestler of all time is, I'm telling you so many people have said Terry Funk's name. It's just amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, I got you. My favorite wrestler. Rick yeah, Flair. sure. Ric Flair. Well, great choice right there. Um, well, no. Can I explain that? I know you're going to ask. Go ahead and ask me a question. No, no, go for it. What were you going to say? What were you going to say? You know, I was uh, one of the luckiest guys ever in this business. Uh, In NWA, Robert and I were teaming up, and boy, we got over. Dusty hated us. Uh, You know, because, man, we were selling out everywhere we'd go. And and I'm telling you, that's the backstabbing of our business because Dusty was the booker. But Magnum T.A., uh, Terry Allen, you know who I'm talking about? Of course. They were grooming him to to fight Ric Flair and to beat him for the world title. But Magnum had a car wreck and paralyzed us. You know, broke his neck and paralyzed him. So all of a sudden, that spot, there's nothing there. Where are they going to go to? And in our business, I tell guys this all the time. I says, you have to go get this job. It don't come to you, but I was at the right place at the right time. Uh, I had a single match that night and which Rick, Rick's one that got us into North Carolina. He's seen Robert not because Rick traveled the whole world. Uh, so Rick wanted to do an angle with me and, uh, it was the coolest thing in the world. Uh, there's a lot of great workers in our business. And I'm not saying Rick Flair was the greatest worker. Rick Flair was the greatest world champion ever greatest world champion 
that there ever be because Rick, it don't matter what it was, every night he gave you your money's worth. I wrestled Rick 17 days in a row. And this is twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. <laughs> I wore time limits. Okay. Then when those 17 days were over, we did six days of an hour and a half time limits. Okay. Now, during that time, it's like I went to the school of Harvard for wrestling. Boy, did I, did I understand it made me understand the business more because, you know, still, you still don't, it's even like today, I still learn something new every day, but I learned that Ric Flair, there's nobody could fill his shoes because, but he gave you your money's worth. It don't matter. And crazy stuff. I know. And he worked hard. You know, I've heard some of the rest. Ah, he repeats himself. I said, but when you do it hours every night, I imagine you're going to repeat yourself a couple of times. He's not going 10 minutes. He's not like, don't get me wrong. I love Terry Hulk Hogan, but he's not Terry. He don't go five minutes. He gives you an hour. He gives you your money's worth. And that's what I respected about Rip Flair and having the opportunity to be there. And a lot of people don't know this. Let me show you something here. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. I, uh, in Richmond, Virginia. Well, here, I just get the picture. I got a belt right here too, but it's too hard right there. Can you see that? Yeah. That, that's in Richmond, Virginia. I beat Ric Flair for the world title there. But when I beat him, they took me back in the back room and told me they're going to split me and Robert up. And I gave the belt back to him. <laughs> okay. So you don't even know that yourself, do you? Oh, I didn't. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't. And they just gave me this not long ago. They just finally recognized. Let me see Ricky Morton. And this is this ain't that little thin, thinsy one that you that you get off the internet. This right here is one of the one of the real ones here. Wow. So it's not it's not the one that Conrad got. <laughs> the one they put together and gave to me. And that's a lot of people don't know that stuff. Uh, but I wow. do. Uh, yes, I in Richmond, Virginia, I beat Rick for it. But Rick put me right over, and they did it in a way where the fans never knew and didn't know, and boom, it was over with, and out I was gone. <laughs> you know, they wanted, they wanted to split. Dusty was trying to split me and Robert up the whole time. Don't get me wrong, I love Dusty. But boy, I mean, him has some FU fights you would never believe. You know, uh, Okay, you know, but I, but but what it is is I stood up for the boys, and I still do. That's the reason I didn't make the million dollar years, uh, because you know sometimes you just can't fight city hall. But I never went down. I never gave in. I never, you know, it's like when I told you earlier they wanted to team me with Brad Armstrong. No, me and, Brad, me and Robert are the Rock and Roll Express. Nobody's going to take his place, and I'm not going to subsidize that with anything else. I stood my rights. I stood my grounds. Maybe it cost me. Uh, but, you know, when I go to bed every night and every morning when I wake up, I feel blessed. Uh, I feel that I didn't screw nobody. And uh, and look at half of these guys that did all this right here. Either they're hell so bad or, uh, you know, I, and I'm serious. God works in mysterious ways, bro. And uh, not me. All right, so uh, 
thank you for listening to that. And we get <laughs> back to what you were saying. Okay. No, I really appreciated that. That was really nice of you to show me the bell and show me that picture. I'd never knew about that. Yes. So uh, when I learned something new, it's my favorite thing. So <laughs> Cool, buddy. I mean, you know, I like the belt I just showed you. That's not that one you buy off the internet. No, that the son of a gun right here. That was very bad. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they um, gave that to me again, Ricky. With my research, I, I believe four days ago, uh, yourself and and Robert won the RWA tag titles in West Newton, Pennsylvania, uh, sure along did. this uh, Rock and Roll Express farewell tour. Um, has the final match been decided upon with when and where? Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, but I, I, I do know, you know, so many places that, that you think, you know, we're having our farewell tour. And I guess it's going to turn into like Kiss's farewell tour. It's going to go <laughs> on for 14 years because there's so many places that we hadn't been that we need to go back and, and here in the United States, man, it's a lot of towns, you know, that, that you want to go, but uh, I, we're talking about it and, and I'm going to, uh, it has to be our last match is has to be at NWA, uh, the national wrestle Alliance. Uh, I will, uh, I have talked to Billy Corkin about it. Uh, because you know that's that's who we that's who we started, bro. And we, I mean, we started in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart, made the Rock and Roll Express. You might have heard that in years before, but you know, our really big deal is, you know, it's, it's a lot of times in your life, you know, the greatest moments in in your the greatest moments. You, you got to understand, we're just two kids that came out of Memphis, Tennessee wrestling and. And uh, and then you win the world, NWA World Tag Team Titles. It's the greatest moment, one of the greatest moments in my life. And another thing, and I know that I'm skipping around and I'm just answering my own self questions here, but this and another great time that n nothing can compare to either is when WWE calls you, Hunter. And uh, they tell you, so listen, uh, our Hall of Fame can't be legit because you have great tag teams, but the Rock and Roll Express are the greatest tag, babyface tag team ever. Our Hall of Fame couldn't be legit unless we put you guys in it. See, because we never wrestled for WWE. We just chose for WWF and not WWE. And uh, let me tell you, buddy, what a compliment. Get me here, I got cold chills on my arms talking about that it's a uh, because it's great moments in your life that that really 50 years from now will go down in history and and in the wrestling books and those i know the feuds with the midnight express and all these we talked about earlier but not only that the russians the andersons and me with flair this is some things that i said you know you sit back sometimes you just think about it you know, and you asked me earlier too about when I'm gonna retire. When I'm, you know, it's like two days ago. I'm downstairs and I'm, I'm watching TV, and I'm watching a fishing show. And about 15 minutes after watching that show, I'm going, "What the fuck am I doing? This is the most <laughs> boredest shit in the world." I got up, went to the gym. All right, 
thought I'd throw that in there, okay? <laughs> well, some uh, stuff watching there. fishing. What the hell? <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, uh, I guess it's a uh, to be to be decided uh, when it will happen, but at least we know it'll be in the National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, so thank it, you for sharing. It'll probably be in June. It'll probably be June, July uh, of next year because Robert and I still have a few towns that we still got to hit. You know, we're going to end it this year, but you know, gosh, man, uh, we announced this, and and, and dude, you got to understand, we're trying to make a living. We didn't make the millions, and there is towns that that uh, that we're going to make a lot of money off of in the next six months. But it's going to happen, you know. And then you said I like to focus my attention uh, after that on on teaching the younger generations that it's more to our business than doing a fucking high spot. <laughs> okay. Thank you, and very well oh. said. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> cool, bro. Uh, okay, Ricky, uh, we're getting really close to the end of the interview here. This has been such an education. I've really enjoyed your thoughts and everything because you're just confirming everything that's within my heart uh, when it comes to right. my fandom and professional wrestling. But um, you, you've mentioned your favorite wrestlers, Ric Flair. I would assume favorite opponents over the years would be the Midnight Express. Yes, it is, but... Uh... You know, ever you know your opinion is, especially when it comes to me, your opinions like your ass. Everybody's got one. <laughs> you know, everybody has their own favorite. Uh, but to tell you the truth, and, and I've been there everywhere. You know, Flair worked the hardest. He's the greatest world champion. But to me, the greatest worker in this business is Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, go back and watch some of his. I mean, dude, I mean, you just can't imagine Jerry, uh, and I, and, and still today. You know, I work a lot of independent shows with Jerry. He gets in the ring with kids that don't know whether to wind their ass or scratch their watch. <laughs> and he will absolutely tear the house down with them. And, and this is every night, and that's every opponent he gets in. I, I learned a lot. What education I got working business. Uh, and that's when it really began. But that's who, my thought, Jerry Lawler. Uh, and he is, and uh, to me, in my opinion, and my ass. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a great great choice yeah. right there uh yeah. over yeah. the years I, I know look you said before 50 years within the wrestling business yeah. is there one match one match that you think back on that's your favorite your proudest uh performance that you you were a part of oh it, yeah that was my matches with flair right. uh because when i first started yeah, I don't know if you ever went an hour of time limit or watched an hour of time limit match. Uh, my first one, it damn near killed me. Uh, I'm glad I had Rick in there with me because, buddy, I was super blowed. You know, I, my check engine light done come on, and I was overheating. But Ricky got me through it. But about the fifth day into those hour broadways, brother, my ass was ready. Uh is to go out and and be in the ring with Rick and, and just entertain these people so much. And, and then I knew my part, and then I knew how to do it too. And, and, and to be out there to make magic with Rick Flair to do that. And, and you got to understand, buddy, Rick, especially this is how good Rick Flair is, okay? 
you have your heels in your baby faces. Nowadays, you know, I told a guy that the guy told me, they, uh, he's, he said, when I go out to wrestle tonight, the people will probably cheer for me. I said, well, they're only going to cheer for you if you want them to. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You don't have a clue about the business. But you ever thought about being, especially we're going to talk about Pittsburgh. I mean, not Pittsburgh, but Philly in a second. But could you imagine going out in Charlotte Coliseum where Ric Flair from Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm wrestling him for the, which they cheered me when I went to the re, but when Rick come out, the whole thing changed. And and then I'm going to tell you, because this happened the same way in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a straight ass right up hill, hill town. They hate the baby faces. I don't <laughs> care who you are. They hate you. You understand me? These people don't even like ice cream. They hate everything, <laughs> you see. So uh, I go to the ring. They're booing the shit out of me and throwing stuff. And here comes Ric Flair, and he's everything. Rick and I, there was just another time. We, we were going to go about 50 minutes in this match. And here Rick comes out. Now, see, this is what tells you what a worker is and what he understands and his job and my job. I mean, I'm everything but Ricky Morton. You hear me? I'm everything. Now, these people are the Bubba. <laughs> Ten minutes of that match, Ric Flair turned half of the crowd. Okay? <laughs> Fifteen minutes in that match, he done turned the whole people. Now, people are throwing stuff at Rick and Rick, and the people push the guardrails all the way up to the ring. You see what I'm saying? It keeps, I mean, boy, they're mad and, and I'm selling, I'm taking bumps, hitting people, you know, backhand, I knock them off the right. They're coming in the ring on Rick. Arn Anderson comes down to the ring because he's, you know, we always watch took care of each other. And then here come Robert and, uh, dude, I mean, they're throwing, we're fighting. We supposed to go on. He was going to screw me that night. Uh, but in NWA, you know, over the top ropes at EQ. And he told me, he said, Ricky, uh, I'm he said, Jesus, they're going to kill me. I'm going to get killed here in a minute. He says, I'm going to throw you over your top rope, run, land on the apron, run up the top rope. See if I do that, the people, all the eyes will be on me. And when I did that, Arn grabbed Rick and slid him out. And they went out the front door of the building <laughs> to come around to the back. And he got DQ'd because they were going to kill him. I'm serious. I mean – and see that, do you understand what I just said to you then? Yeah. This this is working. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you change the thing. This is Ric Flair being Ric Flair no matter where the hell he is. Even though the people loved him, he's Ric Flair. He changed them that quick. And what you see, what an art that nobody knows how to do no more. Yeah. And that's why I respect Rick and like him. All right, cool. I don't know how we got there, but we got it. I loved it. I loved it. What a great story. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I've only got Ooh, a few buddy. more questions to go here, Ricky. Sure. It's just about your favorite things uh, uh, outside of wrestling. Uh, Ricky, do you have a favorite book? I read a lot of James Patterson's books. And uh, I like the thrillers, the murders, and all the mysteries <laughs> and stuff. Uh, it's not just one of them, but all of them. James Patterson, I, I like to read some of his stuff. 
Excellent. Very good choice. Do you have a favorite TV show? A favorite TV show? You know what? I, I watch a lot of TV, and I hate the news today because, Jesus Christ, nobody – the worst shit in the world. No wonder our country's in the shape that it's in. Uh, but I do, you know, what I, I watch. I don't know if you have it there. Uh, and it's called First 48. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the murders. Yeah. Awesome. Some yeah. of those get real. Yeah. And I like that. I, I enjoy watching that show. Excellent. You like the crime stuff. Okay. Very cool. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I, it teaches it teaches you where to be and not to be. <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> when to run, when to run, and when to scoot, buddy. I'm not bullshit. Okay. <laughs> um, Ricky, do you have a favorite film? You know what? Uh, uh, you know I like uh, a lot of the stuff. Uh, Daniel Washington's favorite. I like the one he's in. I think it's called The Exterminator or the, or something like that. Can't think of the name of it. I, I like thrillers like that. Uh, I tell you a great movie I, that I just watched, and for me being down from down south, is you know the that was Presley's new movie. Oh yeah, uh, I I, uh, I really enjoyed that. You know because people don't really understand it's in in any business. You know, Colonel Parker, how you know how you know like the promoters they cheated us and stole from us and how colonel parker stole from elvis and but you know his he was so popular that then on it he, he became more popular but you got to understand it's it's real life you know rock and roll and it wasn't just music and we're really the same business it really works off the same things with the promoters and all this bullshit that you got to put up with. And I, I really like the Elvis movie. Not only that, I'm a big Elvis fan anyway. The way he was brought up and came and being at the right place at the right time. You know, they, you know, especially when they were starting to book him, they thought he was a black singer. And uh, <laughs> that's cool, man. You know, because, you know, I, I say you're playing music, you know, all their music, before you can be a musician and before you can understand music, you got to be a blues player, buddy. You got to understand the blues. When you understand the blues, and then you learn how to play it and learn how to understand that, you'll be successful in music. And I'm not saying that. I'm just all of them. I mean, I mean, you start to think about the Rolling Stones and 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 Jimi Hendrix and all all they were blues players, and uh, it's really bad. And people don't really even realize that. Even Led Zeppelin were blues players. So uh, it's really cool and. Uh, so we had get they got me into Elvis. That's why I like him so much. Very cool. And speaking of music, the next one was: uh, Do you have a favorite band or a favorite musical artist? Buddy, uh, <laughs> uh, God, that's hard to pick. You know, I, I, I liked so many of them, but a lot of you know, I had a lot. I have a lot of friends that play music, but yeah, you know, like country music singer Joe Dippy that died of the COVID virus. Uh, John Prime, you know, I don't know if you heard of John Prime, uh, uh, a singer. He died of the COVID virus. Uh, I, I have a lot of them. I just can't really have one that sticks up. You know, hey, my, since my boss man might be watching, uh, I think I go with Billy Qu- Smashing Pumpkins, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, get, I, I get me some, uh, some check marks here. Uh, but not only that, I, and I will tell you this, uh, when you get to know people, Billy's a hell of a guy. 
uh, and it, I'm, I'm not getting the right question. I'm not sitting here trying to hold up to him. You know, he's a great musician, uh, you know, and I, I didn't realize, you know, that he playing a piano when he was four and five years old and he was, and, and all this stuff. I just don't realize, you know, how much experience these guys have got to be who they are. Billy's a hell of a guy. Even, you know, out in the business and outside the business, he's funny as shit. I like Billy. <laughs> so, uh, to get, hey, to get my strides, uh, I'm smashing pumpkins. Hey, I tell you who I like too. No, no, no. Let me get out. I forgot. I forgot about my friends, Lars Fredrickson. Uh, Ransom, you know them? Of course, yes, Ransom. Oh, hey, I love him, man. He's my <laughs> buddy. <laughs> you hear me? And I didn't, and, and when I met him, you know, he, Singer for him. I just like it. Man, he got along good. And finally, I asked the sweet he says, I'm, I'm Ransom, the punk rock band. I said, You got to be shitting me. <laughs> and it was, you know, it sure was. I didn't know. I, I, was, I was out in San Francisco and uh, just ran into him. We just hung out for a while. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Was, That's cool, Ricky. That's cool. We've only got a couple more to go here, Ricky, and then I can let you get on with your day. Uh, getting away from the arts now, do you have a favorite food? Call me anything in the world, but late for supper. I liked all kinds of food. You know, I, I I was a country boy when I was a kid. You know, we was raised on a farm. You know, you uh, had a lot of it's, you, you you didn't have meat every day. You know, you eat a lot of vegetables and stuff. And uh, you know, I liked all kinds of food. I like chicken. I guess is my favorite because chicken goes with chicken. You can never go wrong with chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hear me? And that's the reason why. And being on the road, so I, you know, especially you go to, uh, I remember my first time I went to Japan. And uh, once you get out of the Tokyo, the city, out of the city, you know, it's not Americanized no more. And uh, when you go into a restaurant there, it ain't like you go into a big restaurant. You know, it's just a table. You pull a chair up and you set your hats down and uh, they bring you whatever they cooked. But I remember we was in a town for a couple of days and we went to there eating. They bring the plate put in front of me and it's still crawling. And uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I ain't, I'm not eating that shit, you know? <laughs> but about two days went by. I went in and I ordered three of that shit. <laughs> My, I was hungry. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't care. I, I learned, you know, I turned into Andrew Zimmer. You understand me? I like the exotic foods. <laughs> and then, uh, but me and my wife both do. We, I, we try anything to, to eat, you know, except for the hot shit. A lot of your overseas uh, uh, food, or, they have spices on it, brother, that you can light a cigarette off of. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I enjoy it. I, I don't have a chicken, which is my favorite food because it goes with anything. <laughs> Very nice, Ricky. Uh, we got four to go here. Four to go. Do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Waffle House. Number yeah, one do you answer. Have Waffle House. We don't. We don't have a lot here, unfortunately. Do, do you know what Waffle House is? It's, United States to see Waffle House. Have, I, I haven't been. No, I haven't. I haven't seen it. I mean, I, do you, do you do you understand what I see? A Waffle House is just a little restaurant that serves breakfast twenty four seven, and right. they have hamburgers. It never closes. It's open twenty four hours. The food's always hot. Food's always quick, and it's reasonable price. 
And at, you know, at three o'clock in the morning when you're half drunk and a little bit of high, it's, there's nothing better than a fucking waffle. <laughs> you hear me? <laughs> and Excellent. it's always there. Yeah, cool. cool, man. Uh, we've got three to go here. Do you have a favorite alcoholic beverage? And if you don't drink, though, uh, just a favorite beverage in general. Personally, I, I quit drinking uh, about five o'clock this morning. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, my beer, I like Mick Ultra. Me and my wife, you know, we are professional alcoholics. <laughs> no, we don't. No, when me and her are going to Vegas Sunday for Cauliflower Alley, uh, we'll be there for a week. And I promise you, we'll do a week's worth of drinking. Uh, you know, we, my wife lives down at my wife, I told you my wife's a senior. She lives in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Where the, and don't wish married, but I'm up here because we still have our, uh, you know, I have eight kids. But our youngest son's still in college. So I'm here and I go see her. She works there. She sings there uh, and all other things. And, but every time I go down to see her, we, you know, I live in the mountains of Tennessee, but when you have, when you have moonshine, you know, and uh, you ever drink real moonshine, you know, have you ever had some? You know, I was over my buddy's no, house the other day. I was over my buddy's house the other day. He says, Ricky, uh, man, I just made this new batch of moonshine trot. And I took a big drink of it and I found something real cold on my shoulders. And I looked over and it was the floor. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, you know, my beer is Mick Ultra and I, and I like all kinds of different kind of liquor. We, you know, me and my wife have shots from tequila. To, I just don't yes. like bourbon too much. I, I'm not a bourbon guy, you know, especially, you, you know, you just take a big shot of Jack Daniels or something. And it, I don't know what monkey piss tastes like, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, God damn, it's awful. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Hey. <laughs> It really yeah. is, Ricky. Two to go here, yeah. Ricky. The, the, the second last one here. It could be considered the naughtiest question of all on this segment, uh, but it could also get a very meaningful answer. You never know. Favorite female body part, body part. Ricky Morton sees a good-looking lady. Where will Ricky Morton's eyes go to first? Where my eyes go to? The ass and legs. <laughs> the ass and legs. And the boobs got a lot. But, you know, Things have changed. You know, me and my wife, you know, we've been together for 40 years. And and I figured out nowadays that, you know, a woman, you know, it's, it's like taking them to a body shop, a car body shop. You understand it. You take them in there and say, listen, I need you to raise up the back end and <laughs> a little bit in the front, adjust the middle. And uh, I pick her up on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> But no, yeah, I'm a I'm a ass and legs girl. Yeah, you know, guy, guy, that's what I like. All right. Very good, fantastic answer. I'm the same as well. I I, I convey with that. Uh, the, the last yeah. one here, Ricky Morton. Do you have a favorite curse word? Fuck. Number one answer. When I do, <laughs> when I do my stand up, I always get the before I start off. You know, I'm talking to the crowd. We count how many times I say fuck during my show. Hey, <laughs> sometimes they get up in the hundreds, you know, because everything is, you know, like, like here's my dog sitting beside me. If he jumped my lap, what's the first thing you're going to say? Fuck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all right. You spill your drink. Fuck. You know, 
You see a nice ass and you see some nice legs, you go, fuck. Right there. Oh, shit. <laughs> my wife, when she looks at me, fuck you. Thank you so much. I, so much. I really appreciate this so much. This was such a great interview. Um, Thank uh, you. I, but but I want to tell you something else, you know, from my wife. My wife, sure. co- about two weeks ago, she told me, says, let's go to a pot party. I said, a pot party? I said, yeah, you know, I, I don't smoke pot. I don't, but a lot, a lot of my friends do. And I, I'm a wife. I says, you smoke pot a lot? She goes, so she, you know, she says, oh, no, but we're going to a pot party. It'll be fun. Get there. And they're selling Tupperware. Was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pot party. What the fuck? You, uh, I thank you for having me on your show. It was absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and thanks so much. And if uh, you come to the States, please look me up. All right. I'd love to meet you. All right. Me I, too, and, and, and another, another thing, I'm a hugger. Okay. People <laughs> that I love, I hug, you know. And I, and and before I do go, I, I, and I wanted to tell you this too. And this is one thing that I do do uh, at every wrestling show. Before I leave, I always hug and tell the boys that I love them because there's so many that I wished I did do that I didn't. That's uh, one thing I can say about Bobby Eaton the last time because every time I've seen him, I loved him and I kissed him, and because he's my friend and I loved him. All the boys in our business, even though if you're assholes and bad, I still love you. And thanks all of you for being the biggest part of my life. Things that in my mind that would never be erased. Because my love for this business is there's no boundary. There's no end to it. Uh, and nobody can ever take that away from me. And I love you all. And thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk about my business, having a few laughs and telling people things that they didn't know. And if they disagree with me, I promise you, I'll prove you wrong. <laughs> you have a wonderful day, my friend. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much. You take care. Yes, sir. And you I'll... too. Thank you very much. 